1: Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to Basketball Conference, the ACC Football Podcast. My name is Joey Weaver, Mike McDaniel, still on paternity leave. Send him your well wishes, but I am not alone today. Uh, today we kick off our our ACC preview series going through all 14 teams with a look at the defending, reigning, undisputed ACC champions from 2021 we are joined once again by our favorite pit correspondent, Mr. Jim Hammett of PantherLair.com. Jim, welcome back. How are you doing, man?
0: I'm doing good. Uh, you know, it's in the middle of July, and I don't think anyone else has left for a different conference yet.
1: At least not like this week, but it is only Monday. So, yeah. <laughs> well, thank you for joining, um, Pitt. Obviously, as I said, you know the reigning ACC champions. Uh, it's the first time since we started this podcast that I've been able to say that about anybody but Clemson, which is kind of wild. But, uh, but here we find ourselves. I, it was a magical season in in twenty twenty one in so many ways. Um, it really felt like, I mean, the, the offense hit its stride in a way that it it had not before, um, and yet I, I think coming into twenty twenty two, I think. One of the things, you know, one of the stories of the offseason in my mind has been, um, you know, some of, the, some of the losses for Pitt, you know, obviously, um, you know, a couple pretty major losses. And I, I think the, the biggest of all of them, Jim, and you tell me, like, how do you think this is going to impact the Panthers? Uh, they have officially lost the name of their stadium. Heinz uh, Field is no more. They're now playing in Acrisure Stadium. Do you think that's going to impact the environment week one when they host West Virginia?
0: You know, it's it's actually a big deal in Pittsburgh. Right? <laughs> People, there are there are you know, signing petitions trying to get Heinz back. But uh, the, the funny thing is, like in Pittsburgh, like when something changes its name, it stays that way. Like the big amphitheater was always Starlake. Then it changed to 20 different names, but everyone always just called it Starlake. So mm. everyone's just going to keep calling this thing Heinz Field.
1: Well, that sounds like free advertising for for the Heinz family.
0: (laughs) Yeah, why why put up for the sponsorship rights if everyone's just going to call it Heinz Field anyway?
1: Yeah, exactly. There you go. That's good business. That's some uh, 4D thinking there. All right. Well, um, I I do want to start and and ask you about uh, Pat Narduzzi and his coaching staff. Um, Narduzzi himself, I mean, he's going into year nine, year eight? Year eight at Pittsburgh. Um, and, and last year really was the one year that has, he's, he's jumped that his program jumped out in front of, uh, what he had been previously. Um, you know, the first six years, there was not a single ranked finish. They finished 13th last year. They played in the peach Bowl as, as a new year six team. They obviously, we said they won the coastal division and won the ACC championship game. Do you feel like that was a kind of really the, um, like, like a, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, it's good when there's only one host here and they don't know how to talk. Um, was that the point? Like, was that something that was really like a, a a culmination of everything that Pat Narduzzi had been building up until then, or was it a little bit of a, a lightning in a bottle situation that's going to be tough to replicate moving forward? Do you think?
0: No, and I, I think when I was on the podcast last year, I kind of said as much. I, I, I think. Um you know, Pat Narduzzi's been around for a while and he was doing a lot of things, right. Except having that big breakthrough, you know, 10, 11 win season, he finally got it. But, you know, I think recruiting's in a good place. I think the fan base, you know, kind of likes him. I think the recruiting, it just, a lot of things, Um, you know, ex alum are always coming back. Like Aaron Donald like lives in the pit practice facility. So there's Mm -hmm. a good culture around the football team. So I I think, you know, it took a while. I think, you know, after the Dave wants uh, Todd Graham, Paul Chris, like that craziness, like they needed a guy like Narduzzi. And it took a while for it to get going, but it, it kind of, that was, like you said, a culmination last year with an 11-3 and three season.
1: And, I mean, as far as expectations, it, is it fair to say with, like, the Pitt fan base, the expectation is maybe win the division every three, four, five years, and otherwise just consistently make bowl games? Like, like if they don't win the ACC championship again this year, it's not like anyone's going to be calling for his head or anything.
0: No, I wouldn't think so. I mean, I think there are expectations around the team just because there's a lot back. But at the mm-hmm. same time, I mean, I don't think, you know, Pitt's just not Clemson. I mean, they're not expected to win 11 games. They, you know, they recruit, their classes are in the 30s and 40s in the rankings. I mean, at some point, you know, talent catches up. But I, I think, you know, whenever things come together, like they did last year, and, you know, potentially how it could be this year, I mean, I think, you know, people want them to strike when the iron's hot. But I mean, reasonably, I you know I think people are okay with a competitive eight and four team, and you know every once in a while go up to ten and two, eleven and one.
1: Yeah, yeah, and that's a it's a good place to be. You know, I I think that's one of the things I've kind of realized as I talk about some of these teams, like you know, in NC State, the first one that comes to mind is me, like you know, well, really, like Dave Dorn only ever won nine games in a year. Like, is that good enough for you? And it's like, realistically, maybe it is. Like, you know, maybe maybe don't don't try to throw the baby out with the bathwater every time you don't, you know. Win the ACC championship every year, especially when you've got monsters like Clemson on the other side that are just going to be nearly impossible to get past at any given point. So um, maybe, yeah, I think there's clearly something to that, and I, I need to, I need to take uh, take heed of that moving forward. We'll say, <laughs> um, I did mention earlier that there were. I, I think one of the things that I'm curious to see, I guess, with Pittsburgh, like you said, I mean, they, there is a lot of returning production. I would say the losses are are not. Uh, not great in numbers but are perhaps great in, in impact um, one of those in particular I think was the loss of Mark Whipple Mark Whipple retire or I think he retires resigns and then two days later I believe ends up hired by Nebraska so I don't I don't know exactly what happened there I'm sure there's a story um, but he's replaced at offensive coordinator by Frank Signetti jr who comes over from Boston College um, Curious to know from you, Jim, I mean, do you know anything about that search or what Pat Narduzzi saw in Frank Signetti that felt like that was a good fit here to continue and try to keep this offense rolling?
0: You know, I think with almost all of Pat Narduzzi's offensive coordinator hires, and there's actually been quite a bit since he's been the head coach. I mean, uh, Jim Chaney, Matt Canada, Sean Watson... Uh, Mark Whipple and now Signetti, and you look at the common denominator with all those guys is they're all quarterback coach as well so it's offensive coordinator and quarterback coach they're veterans they have NFL experience they run multiple looks Um, it's kind of the same thing and I think when you look at Signetti and what he did at Boston College with Jerkovic Mm -hmm. you know two years ago they had a really successful offense and you know they can run the ball and they can throw the ball and I think that's what I think that's what Narduzzi was looking for because you look at the team coming back; they have good running backs, they have good weapons, and they were looking for a quarterback to tie it all together. So, he was kind of a guy that you could bring in that's a veteran that can just look at what he has and says, oh "You know, okay, I can figure this out." It wasn't he doesn't need his own system; he doesn't need his own players. He can kind of gel to what's already there.
1: Yeah. Well, and and that was something though. I. I felt like Mark Whipple, if, correct me if I'm wrong, he's pretty much a, a straight air raid guy or he's more in that air raid tree of things. But I think this would be this would look scheme wise is going to look a little bit more like a traditional pro style set or you know whatever pro style is these days. But um, it's going to look maybe more like a traditional pro style set like it maybe did earlier in the Narduzzi era. Is that fair to say?
0: Yeah, I think so. And I think, you know, it starts, they do have three running backs back that had 500 yards last season. I think they wanted to utilize them more. I think Mm -hmm. at times they kind of leaned on Pickett, you know, even in third and one situations, it's like, could we hand it off? Sure. Or could we drop back and let Pickett chuck it to Addison for 50 yards? Yeah, that works too. So that's Mm -hmm. kind of what, that's kind of the offense they had last year. And, you know, if, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. But at the same time, you do want to establish more of a run. And I think that was kind of, the idea behind the hire
1: makes sense makes sense Um, defensively too, Randy Bates comes back this will be his sixth year in control of that defense and I I remember when he was hired I believe he was a a linebackers coach out of Northwestern and uh, I was like okay so this is going to fix and I because that first couple years under Narduzzi the defense had some real problems Um, you know they struggled to communicate in the secondary I remember and um, it's been under Bates that the whole thing has really gelled nicely and Turned into one of the nicest pass rushing units, I think, in particular, not just in the ACC, but really in the country.
0: Yeah, the, the past three years, Pitt has finished uh, in the top three in sacks in each of the past three seasons. I mean, they 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 hang their hat on getting to the quarterback and stopping the run, and they're very good at that as well. I mean, you can get to Pitt with some deep passes, and you know they kind of have their corners playing playing out on islands at times, and safeties kind of in bad situations. But at, at, for the most part they're going to get to the quarterback. They're going to make big plays, splash plays, and it really works under Randy Bates. And, uh, you know, a lot of the credit has to go to Charlie Partridge, the defensive line coach. He's, mm-hmm. he's been around for a long time, and, you know, he coached J.J. Watt at uh, uh, Wisconsin. I mean, he he's done a lot of great work at Pitt. So he's one of the best defensive line coaches. So those two – you know, it did seem to click more when Bates was here. I think the linebacker play got better when Bates was here, which, you know, speaks to the position he used to coach. So uh, everything just kind of seems to click. And, um, you know, Narduzzi still has a big hand in it, but at the same time, he it seems like he does trust Bates a good bit.
1: And and it makes sense. And I think he's earned that trust, clearly, from what we've seen the last couple of years. Um, let's talk about a couple of the players that left. I mean, obviously you have Kenny Pickett, who finishes, what, second or third in the Heisman voting um, he graduates, goes on to the NFL, uh, was an early draft pick there. Uh, we, we've also mentioned Jordan Addison transfers out, and that was a whole saga here a couple months ago that uh, we, we talked quite a bit about on the show and, and how frustrating that was, even to watch as a non-Pitt fan, to like watch the way that, that all went down was pretty frustrating for me. Um, Tazir Mack, Lucas Kroll, Shaki Jacques-Louis uh, transfers out. These are like a majority of the, uh, the highest volume receivers, not to mention again, Kenny Pickett, the, the quarterback being gone. Like between Keaton Slovis, uh, you know, and a couple. I know there was the the transfer in from Akron, but it sounds like this this passing attack is really going to kind of have to be rebuilt under under the new leadership.
0: Yeah, I would say for sure. I mean, Jared Wayne's a good starting point. I mean, he he caught touchdowns in the in the bowl game. He caught a touchdown in the ACC championship. He's six three. I mean, he, he's a guy they can really lean on. He had forty seven catches last year. Uh, they're really excited about Gavin Bartholomew and that's kind of another one of those things where Signetti comes in with his usage of tight ends. Uh, Bartholomew was like uh, totally under the radar, nobody offered type recruit and he came in as a true freshman was like part of the first team offense like day one. Mm-hmm. So they're pretty excited about him. And yeah, Kanade Muffield uh, transfer from Akron, freshman All-American for you know the Zips last season. They also got Bob Means. He's kind of a went to Tennessee, to Louisiana Tech, and now he's at Pitt, but he's another guy expected to come in. They have a a few other guys like Jaden Bradley, Jalen Barden, who have caught passes before. I mean, when you have a quarterback like Kenny Pickett, he's going to spread it around. So, you know, maybe the production wasn't there, but the guys were on the field for him, and they were out there. So I think there's, you know, some belief that the receivers can still be a strength
1: this season. Mm -hmm. Well, in transferring in to replace Pickett, we said, is Keaton Slovis Um, coming in from USC. He was a guy who's a – I want to say he was a two-year starter out there. Um, pretty effective, did well, but just sort of got recruited over when Lincoln Riley got out there uh, in a certain to a certain degree. Um, what's been the buzz you've heard about him coming out of spring practice and uh, just in, in general surrounding Keaton Slovis as the, the incoming starting quarterback? I assume he is going to be the starter, right?
0: Well, there actually ha- hasn't been an official announcement on that yet because hmm. – um, Kenny Pickett's top backup for all these years, Nick Patty is back. And he was set to Mm. start the Peach Bowl. He did start the Peach Bowl and got hurt very early on in the game. I remember that. So, uh, you know, throughout spring, Narduzzi did not tip his hand. But, I mean, I think the overwhelming relief is, you know, Slovis didn't come across the whole country to sit on the bench. So, I mean, he did throw for uh, 7,500. 7,500 yards, 58 touchdowns in his career at USC. I think he was the Pac-12 freshman of the year in 2019. I mean, he has a lot of credentials. And I think going into last season, he was projected as maybe, you know, a first-round pick. And Kenny Pickett was not. So it's kind of weird how things work out. But, um, yeah, so, I mean... There is a belief that Slovis, if he can regain his form, I think he was injured a little bit last season. The coaching change kind of messed everything up. So, um, you know, he has a lot of pedigree. And, you know, when you have a guy that has 58 career touchdowns coming in, you have to feel at least pretty good about, what, you know, where things can go with this offense.
1: Yeah, that kind of experience as a starting quarterback is is something that you kind of can't replace. And it's you can bring in a, a blue-chip quarterback all you want, but you just kind of never know what you're going to get until there's live bullets flying. And, but seeing a guy like that who has been in front of a lot of live bullets and has delivered in a lot of ways, I mean, that's, that's a good sign, I would say, for, for Pitt and, and wondering, you know, how's that going to turn out. Um, defensively, as far as kind of what, what leaves, um, it, it sounds like, Jim, you know, the defensive line largely intact, uh, but maybe maybe some pieces to replace behind that, particularly in the linebacking core and to some degree in the secondary.
0: Yeah, that's probably a fair assessment. Uh, I mean, the defensive line is definitely the strength of the team. Kalijah Kansi was a third-team All-American last year, uh, potential first-team All-American guy this year. He's the type of player that's really like, thrived under Pitt, the undersized defensive tackle. I mean, obviously, Aaron Donald didn't play for Charlie Partridge, but a lot of the guys kind of mimic how he plays, and Kansi really fits into that mold. Uh, Haba Baldonado is another guy all-ACC picked last year at defensive end. Deslin Alexander started a lot of games at defensive end. They have three senior defensive tackles and you know I, I was reading like the Athlon preview about pit football this year and an opposing coach one of his things says you know sometimes when you face off against the second team defensive line there's a little bit of a drop but he said like you're still gonna get hit when you play pit. like there's mm-hmm. eight or nine guys on that defensive line and it's very competitive and you can really see in how they play so yeah the defensive line's a strength but You do get back to linebacker, and that's kind of an interesting spot because they did lose Phil Campbell. They did lose Cam Bright. Bossier Dennis is back. He's one of the best, you know, in the ACC. Mm -hmm. And they actually had to hit the transfer portal a little bit for for some replacement. Uh, Shane Simon from Notre Dame came in. Uh, Tyler Wiltz, uh, Division II guy from Missouri State, was added for depth. So Hmm. it's going to be a retold uh, linebacker room. But, you know, all in all, I think the strength of the team is still going to be that defensive line and Cervasia Dennis in the middle.
1: And it, it and kind of like you're saying, I mean, it has been for, for a while and that seems to be the um, the real calling card of this defense for a few years now has been the strength of that defensive line, the the ferocity of the pass rush. I I'm curious, do you do you have any insights on it what do they do in practice or like, how do they get these guys to play as physical as they do on defense? Like that's, that's always the thing that is just astounding for me to watch is how just physical they are at least in that front seven in particular.
0: Yeah. I, it was funny last year cause they changed, uh, you know, across college football with, uh, camp rules you can only have eight or nine full padded practices and I think Pat Narduzzi made mention of that like after every practice like as a complaint he's like no (laughs) we need to hit more and like that's just that's just kind of like he he it was like you know third week of camp it wasn't even a thing at this point and he's like man I can't I can't believe they took away all these you know full padded practices from us but I think that's just part of it and I think the culture in the defensive line room is like you know a couple years ago Patrick Jones Rashad Weaver they were all Americans they were drafted and they said it starts at six in the morning every day. Partridge is there. The entire defensive line is there. And, and just like I said, with the second team being is, you know, they are fighting for positions every day, even the starters. So I think it's just like kind of that mindset is like, everyone just wants to get better. And, you know, I, I know it's cliche and I'm sure other teams work hard and get up early, but it, it really does start at six in the morning for them. And it's, it's kind of a Testament to Partridge, I would say.
1: Yeah, Absolutely. Oh, it's, just, it's funny to me thinking that, you know, th- there's going to be a new quarterback and a new offensive coordinator, and, like, all that on offense might look very different. On defense, I know exactly what it's going to look like. I mean, it's, it's, it's you know, no, no matter kind of who's been changing out, you know, subbing out, subbing in, it's like it always looks looks the same with that defense, and it's it's always impressive to watch and um, a little bit concerning in a way, but, you know, it, it is what it is. Let's take a quick break here to remind you about Section103.com. It is the Internet's premier place for buying all sorts of great Georgia Tech apparel. Uh, They've got T-shirts, hoodies, sweatshirts. They've got things in the official Tech gold. They've got things with the ATL logo on them. All sorts of great apparel that you can only find in one place. And again, that is at section103.com. Use promo code GOACC for 10% off your first order. And again, they've got things for men, women, children, something for the whole family. If you're looking to rep Georgia Tech... There is no better place to go. I love mine. It is incredibly comfortable. It looks great. It's high-quality stuff. I've, I've had it for a while. I've been wearing it constantly. I've had no issues with it. Can't wait to buy more. They're always coming out with new designs, too. Uh, they had something for basketball season. They had some stuff for baseball season. Uh, they've got this new shirt out that kind of looks like it uh, resembles a fight, win, drink, get naked set of icons. I you It know, could be. It's just speculation. I don't know, Uh, but you might want to go check it out. Once again, that's at section 103com use promo code. Go ACC for 10% off your first order. Tell them I sent you. I love my stuff. You will too. Now let's get back to it. Jim, before we get into looking at the schedule and some of the record predictions that we might do, I, I wanted to get a little bit more of your take and your experience with the whole Jordan Addison saga and what it was. Um, I mean, it was something that definitely, from afar, just reading a couple of tea leaves, it sure seemed like everything was perfectly fine, and he was perfectly happy to be at Pittsburgh. And then, just guessing, someone reached out in the Instagram DMs or something like that, and starts, you know, poking around. And I, I don't know. It seemed like it was pretty sketchy, pretty dirty. And then I, I know from like Pat Narduzzi's reaction, it seemed like that was very much not welcome. The way that it all went down. What was? I mean, did it seem? you know did did it seem like there was anything going on there at some point even during spring practice with Addison or did it totally come out of the blue for you as well
0: you know it really kind of came out of the blue for a lot of people and you know Jordan's a quiet dude I mean he's not you know overly talkative I mean in interviews he's kind of reserved and you know he, he kept to himself and that was just kind of kind of the vibe with him and there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, he's a great football player and, you know, he seemed well liked by his teammates, but you know, he just wasn't, he wasn't Kenny Pickett. He wasn't the team leader. He was just Mm -hmm. a really good player on a team. Um, So it kind of came out on a Friday night. And I think the deadline to enter the portal and be eligible for the following season was like Monday. And like, you know, it just, it was like a sudden hit and uh, you know, everyone's like, is this true? Is this true? Then if you recall, there was like this big delay and like his name appearing in the portal and you know, there was efforts from Pitt to, you know, I think Larry Fitzgerald talked to him. I think all of the, you know, his teammates, his coaches, a lot of people reached out to him. There was the alleged rumor that his mom wanted him to stay at Pitt. His mom was, hmm. you know, very pro-Pitt and very active. But, um, you know, whatever happened, whether, you know, he knew Caleb Williams at USC, whether he was uncomfortable with – you know, Kenny Pickett leaving, Mark Whipple leaving, his receiver coach, Brennan Marion leaving, you know, just a lot of different things and a lot of changes to the team. Uh, it drew him out west and it, it was very sudden. It was very surprising. And like you said, it, it didn't feel right. And I think a lot of people around college football kind of got that same vibe. It's just, you know, if you didn't feel comfortable with everything transfer right after spring or transfer before spring, but right. the, the way it, it went down and, you know he didn't transfer to usc right away but everyone knew that's where he was going to go mm-hmm. so you know after two weeks it's like oh okay he, he is at usc after all mm-hmm. big shocker so it, it was just it never felt right but i think at the same time the team kind of has rallied around that fact because there's still like 15 starters back a lot of guys that you know, won an ACC championship last year and Mm -hmm. a lot of guys that want to prove themselves. So, in in a sense, like, yeah, there's nobody on the team that can go make the plays Jordan Addison made last year. Right. I mean, they have great receivers, they have talented experienced guys, but they don't have Jordan Addison. And, you know, he is the best receiver in college football, you know, and he won the Blitnikoff award for a reason. So it, it is unique. It was a very unique story. I think it rubbed Pitt the wrong way. Obviously Pat Narduzzi, you know not necessarily known for his uh reserved behavior and he, <laughs> so obviously when all that came out and he you know he called lincoln riley and all that so uh, i think pitt has moved on from it i think you know he's been interviewed since i'm sure he'll be asked about it at acc media days but all in all it seems like pitt has moved on but yeah. it, you know the story still lingers just because that can happen in college football again. It might not be to Pitt. It could be to anyone. And it, it's kind of – it makes you feel uneasy about where the sport is going.
1: Right, right. Well, and and like you said, I mean, I, in my mind, if that all, if some of this goes down in like the first week of January, A, you get it because, again, Pickett was moving on, Whipple's moving on, uh, the receiver's coach was moving on. Like you, you would kind of make sense of that. But like having gone through spring practice and being right up next to the deadline and then just like out of the blue this happening was kind of – Kind of bizarre to me. Um, I'm, I'm just guessing. I know the answer to this, uh, Jim, but I'm just going to ask it anyways. Any truth to any of any any truth that you know around uh, any sort of roughly three million dollar dollar figure that was uh, thrown around surrounding that transfer?
0: Yeah, that's what it, it it was coming out to, and you know that would be more than an NFL second round pick. I don't know if that's <laughs> what he got. Uh, there's, there's been, you know, articles and rumors the past two weeks that he's upset at USC because some Mm. of the promises weren't delivered. So who knows what happens? He may have got some bad advice, but I mean, he's still going to play for a good football team this year. It didn't, he, he could have transferred to Tulsa and still be a first round pick next year. I mean, that's, that's the thing I never understood. It's you're not getting more notoriety playing at USC. You just won the blit in the coffin Pittsburgh. So, right. The motives were obviously clear from the start, and, you know, that's that's how it worked out for both sides.
1: Yep, yep. Understood. I mean, it sucks, but it is what it is. And like you have said, I mean, there's there's a number of guys in that receiving core that uh, the coaching staff seems pretty excited about coming into the year. So uh, maybe there is still a Belitnikoff winner on the team. I guess we'll find out.
0: <laughs> Never know. I mean, Pitt has three of them. I think that's tied for the most.
1: What, Larry Fitzgerald and who would the third one be? Do you know?
0: Antonio Bryant. Oh wow! Yeah, going way back a little bit.
1: That is going way back. All right, very good. <laughs> <laughs> i had forgotten about that. All right, good good deal. Um, Jim, let's talk the season and something I referenced earlier in in the episode that I do want to start with is opening night that Thursday night, seven p.m. at home against West Virginia. The revival of the backyard brawl. I I, I think I'm you know. I will speak for a lot of people saying that this is not just a game that Pitt and West Virginia fans are excited for. I think a lot of college football fans in general are really excited to see these two teams play again. Um, what, what has the buzz been around the fan base uh, with regard to that game and restarting that rivalry?
0: I, I think everyone's pretty excited about the game and especially coming off the season they just had and the uh, teams haven't played since 2011 and you know with with West Virginia being in the big 12, it's like, they're not an afterthought. It's just like, you don't even think about them. You don't recruit the same kids. You don't play the same teams. There's, you know, you might poke a 13, nine joke at a West Virginia fan on Twitter. But other than that, like the pit fan base, like they don't really focus on West Virginia. So it's kind of cool to see that back. And, you know, there's trash talking already and it's going to be a packed house at Heinz field. It's a Thursday night game and
1: Akersher you know, call- Stadium
0: at Akershire stadium. <laughs> Sorry. And yeah, I mean, I I have to get used to like typing that out now. It's going to be weird. (laughs) But yeah, I I think everyone's excited about it. And, you know, the vibe I get from West Virginia fans and, you know, people I talk to there, like they are too. I mean, it's a big opportunity for them. And, uh, you know, just that alone, it's a cool storyline, redoing the backyard brawl. But like there's a storyline within a storyline is, uh, you know, Keaton Slovis took JT Daniels job at USC. So like Two starting mm. quarterbacks have like something to like play for. Yeah, so I, think, I think it's like I think it's a really good like well-positioned television game to start college football.
1: Hmm. I again, I, I am stoked for that one. Um, I, I've I've watched a couple of those games. I remember, you know, obviously as a much younger lad, but uh, I can remember watching those games, and it is a a very fun rivalry. Um, and, and so I'm glad it's coming back. Um, looking at this this out of conference schedule, and and Jim. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe you told me in, uh, last year in our preview that, what is it like, since joining the Big East or something, Pittsburgh has not ever gone 4-0 and they're out of conference. Is that is that correct? Am I remembering that right?
0: That is still correct. Pitt has never had an undefeated uh, non-conference slate, unless you count 2020 when they beat Austin Peay and they went 1-0. Okay,
1: well we can count that. <laughs> <laughs> Someone has to. Well, and and just I mean, astounding how that carries over even to, into last year, where I mean, again, as good as that team was, and they won the ACC, and they played in the Sugar Bowl or uh, the the chick the Peach Bowl, I guess, and all that stuff. They also gave up forty four points to Western Michigan and lost in their own field somehow. Even though I, I mean, that one caught all of us off guard. I just. It's the one thing that gives me pause looking at this schedule and thinking they might go 4-0. <laughs> Tennessee, I, I think, should be pretty good as well. That was a, a really good, really fun game last year, and they get them uh, at home. I, two Power 5 opponents out of conference. I, I would assume that there's not a lot of concern or issue with uh, with the way that this schedule was put together within the fan base.
0: No, I mean, there's always kind of been debates with scheduling because they do usually take on two power five teams i'm sure georgia tech's kind of in the same boat with you know there's always a georgia game so oh yeah so like i think you know just in general if if you're playing west virginia everyone's excited about that and Mm -hmm. i think there there, there's a split there's you know some people would like to be four and oh and some people would you know, like to have a packed stadium and play West Virginia and Tennessee. So there's kind of a balance in there, but I I think for the most part, I mean, I think next year Pitt has like Cincinnati, Notre Dame, and West Virginia. Oh, wow. (laughs) So it's like, it gets crazier next year, but I think this is like overall a manageable schedule and, you know, one Pitt fans would want to have most years.
1: Yeah. Well, and yeah, I mean, opening two weeks, home against West Virginia and then home against Tennessee, that that'll be, uh, that'll be a couple of really fun games, I think for maybe different reasons just to start the year, but again, also a really good barometer of where your team's at coming right out of the gate. Um, I, I, think it maybe could be less than opportunistic, you know, with some of the turnover, especially on offense, uh, playing a couple of games like that right out the gate, you know, but, uh, then at Western Michigan the following week and then home against Rhode Island, I, I tend to think this sets up pretty well for them to probably go at least three and one against that schedule, um. I, I think that looks pretty good in in my mind, and then home games against Georgia Tech and Virginia Tech. Road trip uh, after a bye week, they'll make a road trip to Louisville and North Carolina. Home against Syracuse at Virginia. Home against Duke at Miami to finish off the year. Um, overall, Jim, I mean this schedule sets up pretty well, and it's I, I think of a team that's that is going through a bit of a transition, at least on offense, but also like. Who on this schedule do I really feel like is is going to be able to stand up to Pitt, especially in the trenches and uh, and, and against that defense in particular? I think this sets up pretty well for Pitt to be in, in perfectly good shape, you know, towards the top end of the Coastal Division in this final year of having divisions.
0: Yeah, I think so, too. I mean, I, I think, you know, a repeat of 10-2 is not out of the question. 9-3 kind of feels right, too. Um, you know, I, I think you probably split one of the, you know, it's possible you split the first two. I mean, it wouldn't shock me if they go to, and Um, I think, you know, that trip to Louisville, that, that could be tricky. in the after a bye week, and, you know, Pitt historically has just played terrible against Miami through the years. They does. That, that was another slip up last year where, you know, Pitt was actually kind of like an outside, like, Hey, Pitt might make the playoffs this year. And like after beating Clemson, then immediately lose to Miami. So, mm-hmm. um, that's, that's just a team that they just historically don't play well against. I think the one year they beat them, Miami was 11-0, and 0, and Kenny Pickett, his first start, they beat them. Other, every other year, Miami 7-5, and 5, and Pitt can't beat them. So mm-hmm. I, I don't get it, but, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think it sets up well for, you know, no worse than 8-4, and four, but likely 9-3, and 10-2, just the way I,
1: I'm looking at it. Mm-hmm. And I'm seeing only five true road games, I guess just the four – in conference and then the, the trip to Western Michigan. So you get three out of conference games at home. Yeah. So you're going to get really comfortable there at Accra stadium this fall. We'll see. <laughs> well, they, they, they don't play a They only
0: play one road game uh, until October 22nd, which is pretty crazy. You know, yeah. five, five of the first six at home. So, I mean, yeah. they're are going to get real comfortable. And the thing with Pitt last year is they were five and zero on the road. Uh, they, hmm. they have a good mindset on the road and, I mean, you look at it. I mean, Tennessee was a tough game last year, but there's, you know, there's no like giant intimidating stadium this year on the road. Probably Louisville's their toughest environment. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, and that might come down
1: entirely to what Louisville's doing at that time of the season. Like They might be checked out. You never know.
0: Their toughest road game, honestly, might be Western Michigan because Western Michigan is probably comfortable knowing they beat Pitt last year and two. How often does a ranked team come to Kalamazoo, Michigan? So that that's going to be a lively atmosphere, I would think.
1: The Hornets' nest, known as Waldo Stadium, that'll be a, that'll be one to watch <laughs> on ESPNU. I think it's already been announced. Um, all right. So you're you if if I asked you to make a record prediction, and I don't know how much you're allowed to do this or you like to do this, but you're thinking somewhere in that eight and four to ten and two kind of range.
0: Yeah. I, I, and I'll split the difference and say nine and three. I say they they split one of the first two games. I say they split the Louisville, North Carolina, October late road game, and they lose to Miami.
1: And if, and if I asked you, you know, eight and four, is that, would that be a successful season?
0: Uh, I think it would probably, it, yeah. I mean, it would be passable, but I, I think given that you know, Pitt is projected to be a top twenty-five team this year with fifteen starters back. I think people want a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Like I said, kind of strike when the iron's hot. But I mean, all in all, most years an eight and four team at Pitt is it's pretty good. I mean, it's mm-hmm. a season people want to see and have the chance to win a ninth game in a bowl game. There's nothing wrong with that. Mm-hmm. But I think just this year, the expectations are probably a little bit higher.
1: And that makes sense. Um, you know, I, I, it's hard to be upset about an eight and four team. But certainly, yeah, like 9-3 and three is a reasonable expectation, I think, especially, again, what I'm looking at here and and who they play and who they have coming back and everything. Um, I Let's see. I'm going to go 3-1 and one in the out-of-conference just because
0: – The streak has to live. That,
1: I was going to say. I, I'm going to look at the 25 years of history or whatever we have on that, and I'll just go 3-1. and one. Uh, I, I think they'll beat West Virginia. I think they might lose to Tennessee and then win the other two. Yeah. Um, Man, getting Georgia Tech and Virginia Tech at home, Duke at home. I mean, they'll steamroll all those teams. I think. Um, yeah, Louisville and North Carolina could both be tricky road trips. As with Nor- with Miami, I think I'm going to go nine and three with you, Jim. Um, you know, this does not look like an intimidating schedule to me in a year where there's a, there is a lot of uh, there is a lot of ACC teams that are kind of in transition and quarterback changeover and coach changeover and those kinds of things that. I, I think this sets up well for the Panthers uh, to go nine and three and possibly be our final Coastal Division champion. Uh, I think that's that's very much on the table. You know, we'll see what Miami is able to do in year one under Mario Cristobal, but uh, I, I think this sets up nicely for the Panthers. And, and honestly, that's that's a thought is that could be the Coastal Division championship game on Thanksgiving weekend in South Beach. You know, so uh, that that could be a fun one to watch out for.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, and really a lot of this whole, like, it, it depends on Keaton Slovis. Like, if he's kind of, like, clicking in those first two games, then there really aren't a ton of, like, like if you could get through those first two games 2-0 and oh and he looks good, mm-hmm. I mean, they could get on a roll, and that's definitely possible. I mean, like I said, there are some tricky road games in there, and that could be an ACC Coastal Championship at the end. But, I mean, a lot of it hinges on quarterback play, and, and if he's up to par, then, you know, this could be a really good football team.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Sets up to be a good uh, a good year back for the ACC champions of twenty twenty one. Jim, I think that's all I've got for the Panthers for tonight. Anything that I'm I'm missing here that we need to talk about that we haven't hit on yet? No,
0: I you know, I don't think we got the stadium. We got Jordan Addison. I <laughs> mean, we, we
1: got it all. We got all the significant uh, timelines there. Then all right, good deal. Well, thank you so much for joining. This has been a pleasure having you back on. Uh, Real quick, do you want to tell the people where they can go find your stuff?
0: Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter, at Jim Hammett. That's with two M's and two T's. You can uh, check us out on uh, panther-layer.com, panther-layer.com, the most comprehensive source of pit sports news on the Internet. And, you know, it's funny, like, whenever we set up this podcast – uh, what did I tell you guys? I'm like, I know football season's close. Whenever I get like the DM from Joey and Mike, I'm like, all right, <laughs> football, football's here.
1: Now it's time. Now it's time. Uh, well, and, and it's always a pleasure being able to talk to you here, you know, before the season, Jim, and then whenever we we can get your time, you know, during the season. Um, Cause as I've said, I mean, there, there is no better source for Pittsburgh football information or Pittsburgh athletic information, really just in general. So uh, we really appreciate your time. And, and y'all go give him a follow both on Twitter and go hit the subscribe button over at uh, a dot Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Jim, thanks for coming on. Appreciate it. We will, uh, we'll talk to you again soon and best of luck to the Panthers this fall. Have a good one, buddy. You too. Big thanks once again to Jim for coming on, helping us preview Pittsburgh Hopefully I did okay as a solo podcasting host. Once again, Mike will be back here shortly as uh, the paternity leave situation kind of comes to an end for him. Uh, but keep it tuned here. We've got a lot more previews coming your way. Once again, go follow Jim on Twitter, at Jim Hammett, all one word, H-A-M-M-E-T-T. Uh, and go also go follow him at PantherLair.com. It's on the Rivals Network. Hit that subscribe button. Buy a subscription. I, I, I know that... You know that's that's money that I'm asking you to spend, but I'm just telling you, if you care about pit football and you're listening to this show, it will be money very well spent for you on your end. So, highly recommend doing that if uh, if if that is within your means. Uh, I'm going to be back. I've got more previews coming up here over the next couple of weeks while we wait for Mike to come back, and then he'll uh, he'll be back soon. We'll kind of keep the the preview train rolling. Until then, you can find us on Twitter. I am at FTRS Joey. He is at Mike McDaniel SI. Together, we're at BC Podcast ACC. And once again, go follow Jim Hammett at Jim Hammett, all one word, on Twitter. Uh, you can find us on iTunes, on Spotify, all those good places where you go find podcasts. Uh, hit the follow button on Instagram uh, at BC Podcast ACC. Uh, facebook.com slash basketball conference uh, you know please leave us a rating if, if you find us on, on iTunes or on Spotify you know whatever you can do th- those things all really help and the things that really really help are sharing us with your friends so if you've got uh, friends that you think might be interested in listening to something about ACC football please tell them about us don't uh, don't hide us like some dirty secret like you have we're uh, we're not that embarrassing I promise uh all right I think that's all we got until next time, for Mr. Jim Hammett, I am Joey Weaver. Thank you guys so much for listening. We will talk to you again soon. Until next time, hail to Pitt and go ACC.